0: For January 9th, 2020, it's the Lullabot Podcast. Hey everybody, it's the Lullabot Podcast, episode 243. I'm Matt Cleave, senior developer at Lullabot. With me as always, co-host of the show, senior front-end developer, Mike Herschel. Hey Mike.
1: Hey Matt, how are you doing? Um, happy, happy new decade, happy Matt.
0: Happy new decade. Although some people will fight you over that.
1: <laughs> Those people can go to hell.
0: Depending on whether you start it, you start counting with zero or one. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We're 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 developers. We're, we're zero indexed.
0: Okay, I suppose. Yeah, that works. Right. Yeah. Well, it depends on you know what language and uh, what structure in that language PHP. we're talking about. So yeah, I, I suppose arrays start with zero, so that's fair. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, so we're also going to talk about something that uh, I think people have been talking about for a while, right?
1: I don't know. My opinion has been a little, almost like a little under the radar, but I'm honestly super excited about it. It's something uh, that you
0: hear about every once in a while, and, yeah. and it's in the Drupal world. So we're going to be talking Drupal today, which we often do on the Lullabot podcast. Lullabot's a strategy design development company that uh, primarily does lots of website work in Drupal, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Among other things, but a lot of Drupal.
0: Yep. And so today, auto-updates in Drupal Core.
1: Automatic updates. That sounds a little scary. And it sounds a little on drupal
0: Well, I, I suppose. <laughs> well, let's let's see. Right. We, we have the right people to talk to today that uh, have been working on it and know everything there is to know, and we'll all be smarter at the end of this one, right?
1: Yep. Uh, first up, we have uh, Lucas Hedding, who is a senior Drupal engineer at MTech LLC. And is a frequent core contributor, uh mentor, project application reviewer, and in general, a nice guy, according to our notes here. He's from the Midwest and the U.S., but lives in Nicaragua, and he splits his time between his family, clients, and running a largely Nicaraguan-based Drupal services business. Welcome, Lucas. Hi, nice to, to be on the show with you guys. Yeah, Thanks for coming.
0: Welcome. I think you're the only like, first-time Lullabot podcast guest today.
2: Oh, well, hmm. mm-hmm. nice to be that. <laughs> that honor. Glad you're it here. Also,
0: also with us today we have Pantheon CTO, David Strauss. David helps build the system D layer that runs on many of the world's Linux systems. He protects Drupal's integrity via the Drupal security team. He co-organizes the annual All Systems Go conference and contributes to AMP. The uh, Excel- accelerated mobile pages project. Did I get that right?
3: Mm-hmm. As a uh, member, yep. as a member, we've of actually the- dropped the uh, accelerated mobile pages. Oh, um, okay. Moniker. It's just AMP now. It's just AMP. Okay.
0: Yep. But but my, my issue with AMP, David, is that when I Google Google AMP, um, it wants to t- give me Google Maps. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, g- David is a member of the AMP technical steering committee. Welcome, David Strauss. Thank you. And you've been on before. We talked with David about uh, Drupal performance a couple of times several years ago with PressFlow, and uh, more recently, um, talking about performance on Pantheon and CDNs and all that good stuff.
1: Next up, we have a, a chief technology officer of the Drupal Association who manages the team that builds the tools and the community that the community uses to build Drupal. Tim Lennon lives in Portland, Oregon and spends his free time tinkering with Arduino, Raspberry Pis, VR, all the trappings of a sci-fi dystopia. Welcome, Lennon. Tim, welcome <laughs> Tim Lennon. Welcome, Tim
4: Lennon. Great to be here. Um it seems only appropriate in 2020 to have all these uh trappings of the sci-fi dystopia i decided that uh, i might as well lean into the to the whole thing
1: yeah that's that's
4: where the world we're gonna live in so and and, and tim
0: (laughs) Tim, you've been with us before talking about the drupal.org infrastructure team in 2017 and then uh in 2018 we talked about uh changing the tooling that's happening on
4: drupal.org yeah absolutely good to be back
0: so it sounds like you're all involved with this automatic updates and Drupal core stuff. So if we could just get the big picture, maybe what's going on, you know, tell me about sure. the initiative, that kind of thing.
4: Yeah, maybe I'll kick it off a little bit just because uh, the I think big picture idea um, came together when the Drupal Association met with a number of different folks, core contributors and folks like that. I think probably the first really big conversation about... Um, this idea was back at Midwest Drupal Summit, maybe in 2017 or something like that. Um, and, you know, the notion of having automatic updates uh, in Drupal is is much older than that. But um, we came together to talk about, you know, how could we actually get it done in a Drupal context? Um, other software projects, um, in fact, these days, sort of most modern projects have some form of self-updating, automatic updating feature. Um, it's something, you know, WordPress does it. It's something... Uh, that mac os does that windows does that all sorts of things do and many different uh software projects implement automatic updates in different ways um so uh you know we wanted to to come up with a solution that would work for drupal um, and uh that would kind of meet the unique needs of the kind of platforms that get built using drupal as a as a base um so you know there there are a couple of goals behind that right because when you think about automatic updates you think you know who's the audience for that kind of a thing and for the most part it's those kinds of folks out there who are maybe on more of a, a set it and forget it attitude towards their site maintenance thing not the kind of folks who have big uh, development teams or maintenance teams who can do their dev uh, you know dev stage prod um deployment workflows and and all that kind of stuff so you know I I would say that one of the major goals is just more accessibility and maintainability of Drupal for the sort of small to medium-sized folks with this initiative. Um, But I think it has some implications that are good across the board. So um, I don't know, is that a good enough rough overview? David, Lucas, uh, anything to add?
3: I think one of the use cases that we've really been trying to meet at least early on is uh, the site owners that have, that are located in very different time zones than a lot of the security team. Um, Because in many cases um, we've been setting up the updates in a queued up way where they might need to stay up in the middle of the night in order to to rapidly apply the updates. And one of the things that we've learned from some of the major updates to Drupal over the past five years is that attackers can be on the heels of an update in a matter of hours. So that, that, creates a complex situation for people who would are having to choose between getting a night's sleep or putting their site at risk. And it really can make things a lot more equitable around the world for maintaining Drupal sites if uh, it's possible for things to be set up in a place where even if it can't be completely set up and forget it, at least they can know that when, a, when an update is in the works and about to come out that they can get their site into a good place where on their schedule uh, in a way where when the update actually lands, then the update just rolls out to their site.
0: Yeah. So David, um, in case somebody isn't familiar with how a security update might happen, can you, can you walk through that process? It's uh, I'm I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head, but I think you're probably a better person to just kind of give the high level there. Um, It's Wednesdays at Eastern time afternoon or something like that.
3: I, um, I don't know much about the actual, uh, Eastern time, uh, because I'm, I'm out in California, but, um, it's definitely on Wednesdays, uh, when we do the releases and get them out. Um, and we'll usually let people know ahead of time if there is a major security update coming out on a Wednesday so that people can be ready to go for the, for the deployment. Um, We've also made a number of advancements over the past five to ten years uh, in improving the experience for administrators that need to be rolling out updates. Um, for example, we always split out the actual security update into a separate point release from the major, uh, from any kind of feature bug fix updates, so that there is there's always a sort of minimum jump that you can make when the update comes out that has the lowest risk possible for the site while still being able to to get the site uh, past any security risks
0: and you know given the nature of open source when there's a security announcement everybody should know about it but when there's a security announcement everybody who isn't necessarily acting in a good way will also know about it so
3: correct and and we we often see attackers be able to develop at least some attempts against something within six hours of a release coming out
2: that's a pretty good um, segue into what are the features of, of what we've done with our first revision in that uh, the very first parts that we worked on this past summer were this this, this whole concept of a, a public safety announcement or um, yeah, PSA to let folks know, hey, we've got an especially important security release coming out in the next couple of days. And now that'll be Broadcasted on the site, just like the the sort of more annoying, hey, you've got security updates, but it'll happen before, and it's only going to happen on these highly um, sensitive ones, these Drupal 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 type event.
1: Interesting. So, so so the first stage was just like creating the framework to for an announcement that that will happen actually be prior to the release that says, hey you're going to need to update
2: yeah it gives folks um that manage these sites to to really kind of take a deeper look at the site i mean as as, as an engineer on many sites what we've found is that there's a lot of things you just didn't necessarily keep up to date hey i didn't check everything into git i did oh my goodness i i did an update last time on the site on live or you know some of these smaller sites that's that's Kind of sometimes the easiest way, uh, download a couple modules or whatever. Well, anyways, it lets you get uh, a little bit ahead of the game. Hey, tomorrow there's going to be a security update. I'm going to need to be uh, paying attention to all my sites. And that was just the first um, first phase of the the, f- the first phase of the first phase. Gotcha. And when when
1: was that first
2: phase of the first phase phase completed? Tim, was
4: that. Gosh, I want to say we had the initial September? Day work Maybe before that, maybe it was even July or August, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, in the in the early alpha releases of the um, uh, of the build, um, you know, that was kind of the first thing. There, you could you could it, it, essentially it subscribes to a a, a JSON feed uh, from Drupal.org of these PSA announcements that the security team can choose to to publish to, uh, when they have something to put out. So, you know, as Lucas said, that's going to give you a day's head up, uh, a week's heads up. It, you know, it'll depend on how far in advance they're able to do those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I think that came through over the summer, roughly speaking. Um, and then we got into the sort of real meat and potatoes of things.
1: So, uh, when you say meat and potatoes, you're talking about self-updating.
4: Yeah. I mean, Lucas, there's, there's sort of two elements. Lucas did a lot of work around, um, Making sure you're ready for self updating first, which I think is, is one of those key parts.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, there's there's like yeah, there's three parts. There's the PSA, and then there's what we initially called pre flight checks, but then we weren't sure that it, you know that was the best name, so we uh, decided eventually on readiness checks, mm-hmm. uh, and that just makes sure that hey, you're ready to update. What are kind of, uh, what are
0: the things required to be just ready?
2: The actual, actual update, uh, of the site, the readiness checks, um, uh, some examples just sort of wrap your mind around it. Are you mounted on a read only file system? Uh, do you have enough disk space? Do you have database updates that are sort of sitting out there? Uh, those would be things that are pretty critical. Like you can't update files if the hard drive is read only. Sure. Uh,
0: And if you don't have enough hard drive space, like the basic mechanical requirements.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we looked at it as like there's these errors and there's these like warnings. Like, hey, you've hacked a file. You modified a file in tracker module. I don't know why you modified tracker module. (laughs) So it it essentially goes. I I know why
3: you'd modify tracker module.
2: (laughs) Uh, To disable it? Because you didn't want to use it.
3: Yeah. I I I forked it at one point in time (laughs) for for Drupal.org.
2: Okay. But are you you going to want to keep Node module, which is probably a lot more in use on your site, from being upgraded? uh if only the node module was what was fixed with the security release so is exactly. your is
0: your code base in line with what it should be so like it, exactly. we we don't want to so make just, replacements that are going to break changes that you have made to for one reason or another
2: yeah mm-hmm. uh, it, i say hack but it's really usually a patch in most cases yep uh, that
0: sounds a lot like uh what was it hacked module or something like that that would go through and it, c- see where the does, files have deviated but you
2: know what hacked module has a lot better tools now. I mean we, we the, the the Drupal association worked very closely with um with with David and myself and others that were contributing to this this initiative. Uh and we've now got uh SHA 256 sums of every single file of every single release of every single project, theme, core, um uh, distribution back through the, the ages. And you can now download this this archive of the SHA sums and verify that nothing has been modified from what you got off of Drupal.org. And you can do it securely.
0: You, you said for every release, what happens if I'm running a bleeding edge version of a contributed module or something?
4: Like if you're running a dev release? Correct. We we'll yeah, don't have so, that. Yeah. Um, so there's um, the generation, I need to talk to Neil Drum a little bit because he's working on on some of this, but the generation of the Shasums um, is on like every patch release of every module of core of things like that. I think actually it may exist for the tip of the branch, uh, Lucas. I'm not certain. Well, okay. We'd have to double check. It,
2: it wasn't, or if it is, we don't really support it in the module because okay. it, we intentionally don't check against that who's who's to say that your head and my head are not the same thing sure mm-hmm.
0: and it would be every commit uh, yeah. through through the tree and that would be a lot
2: yeah yeah so we're so just what, doing releases
1: so what does happen if you know there's some type of new mega Drupalgeton-ish vulnerability in the node module but for example i might have my you know db blog module patched or something like that
2: You'll have gotten warnings, and if it was a uh, super critical one, you even gotten the PSA the day before, and, mm-hmm. and maybe you weighed the pros and cons of whether or not you needed to um, take that patch out or not, and you decided to leave it in. And the next day, the update um, is out there, and we we check to see if we can apply it. If the only thing that changed was no dot module, we'll update you.
4: Yeah. Okay. Even if your other, uh, even if other components are patched or or hacked or things like that, as long as they're not affected by what's in the update, it should still work in most cases. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know there's inter- interdependencies sometimes that might not be caught, which is why that throws a warning.
1: But it does check. So, for example, say like if if I download this patch early before the auto update module can get to work, it w- and I, I apply this patch, it will. D- when auto-updates gets to work, it'll what? Like fail to apply the patch and give a fail message? fail to
2: apply the patch because you've yeah. got a modified system.
1: Gotcha. Uh, does it, w- what type of notifications are given to the user at that point? Um, does, does it say like, hey, uh, we have this uber critical security update, you know? There's you-
2: options. I think you can't, you can enable or disable the notifications Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if you can enable or disable email or not or if that's just sort of bundled in with the notifications. I have a feeling that I said that that was a separate thing. And, and so then the site administrator, whoever gets the the emails with the, the update.module, when something is uh, out of date, the, those same people get the, the emails for uh, a super important security thing is coming out. Gotcha. Or if a update failed or if it was successful, you also would get that same notification. There's no way to turn that one off. I decided that that one seemed a no brainer. Don't give people too many options. Just let them know that something happened important.
1: hmm So this is going into Drupal core. That's the, that's the ultimate goal, correct? It
4: that is the is. ultimate goal, yeah. There's um, there's some gates we'll have to get through to get to Drupal, to to get it into Drupal core. So there's, you know, we've we've been talking so far, I think we've sort of talked around what capabilities are included so far. So, you know, mm-hmm. we about PSAs, we talked about readiness checking, and we didn't go into detail about how we apply the um, the the changed code base, but Lucas sort of alluded to it, right? You check to see if it's um, if there are any unexpected changes and make sure it can apply. And if it applies, it's it is pretty much a simple file overlay of, of the code base from the, you know, take the, take the changed files and put them in place of the, um, of the older versions of those files that you have in your code base. Uh, the trick is in its current form in this first release, it supports Drupal 7 and Drupal 8 core updates only. We don't have any contrib updating supported yet. Um, we also uh, don't have good support for composer based primarily composer utilizing installations.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um,
4: so there's a, there's some problems to solve. So as we've talked to the with the core team about this to start, um, we know that they want a couple of things. They want to see support for a wider range of of some of these other things. They also want to make sure that there's some more robust tooling around like sort of rollback or even sort of staging the changes. So there's a there's an idea for how we would do that that maybe David could talk about at another point. But yeah, mm-hmm. part of the next next set of things here is we've been working with Core to identify okay, so what are the things we need to resol- resolve before we can begin to actually move this into Core, and what are just the other feature paths that we need to keep working on um, to to cover all the use cases that will uh, you know help protect the community and help maintain people's sites. I think we
0: sure. I think we'd be leaving something behind if we didn't mention that. It's, for as long as something like this has been discussed, there has been a pretty decent resistance to it, um, as far as I wouldn't want my web server updating itself. Um, h- how have we solved that in this era, and why is this a good idea?
3: I, I think part of what we've accomplished through these tools is assistance, even for the people who don't want to use the auto-updating itself, in the sense that even if you don't actually take that final leap of having an apply the update when the release comes out, we're still providing a lot of assistance to help people keep their sites up to date in the sense that um, all the what we were calling the pre-flight checks or the readiness checks, um, the uh, PSA distribution. So in some ways we've tried to accomplish a sliding scale of capabilities where an administrator can choose where they're comfortable automating and they'll still be able to enjoy all the more basic capabilities of the tooling even if they don't take that final leap of having them applied automatically.
4: Yeah and, and that said you know as Lucas has sort of architected the actual implementation that goes in there um, you know the between the readiness checks and the way that the sort of file overlay is applied there are some protections in place. I think we've erred certainly on the more cautious side of not trying to apply updates to avoid breaking sites rather than applying something when it, when the site might not be ready to receive it. Um, so, you know, if, if you are the kind of maintainer who, um, you know, pins your kernel versions and all this stuff all the way up and down your stack, you can still use those sort of workflows. You, you by no means have to have this turned on. But I think the notion of having this as a sort of, Hopefully, eventually, the same default um, for sort of an out-of-the-box installation just makes sense. There there are, you know, um, a million and a half or more websites. Um, Some percentage of those will be very well maintained by a team with expertise that wants to manage this on their own. But a lot of them, um, you know, we want to make sure they're protected, too. Um, So, uh, yeah, that configurability that David described, I think, makes a big difference. Um, and then, you know, if we just go ahead and, and speak to the, sort of the future of this, you know, right now you have this system where if something, if something gets uh, screwed up in the process, it sort of automatically rolls back the, the attempt to do the file overlay. Um, but when we start doing more complex things like doing dependency resolution for composer updates and things like that, where you can't just do a simple kind of undo uh, command to just undo that work. Um, one of the things that David proposed is creating sort of like a bootloader for your Drupal site. And that's something that I think kind of directly addresses that point of giving people control, but also do, taking a, a lot of the work out of the effort. Do you want to describe that idea, David? Sure. Uh,
3: a lot of it's inspired by what I've seen from um, from the world of libOS tree, core OS, and Chromium OS, um, and even, to some degree, the design of network hardware like Cisco appliances, where what happens in a lot of these cases is the active system is effectively read-only, and there's an alternate root system, whether it's a firmware image or it's a, um, a more complex file system, that allows all of the manipulations to occur in an area that is actually isolated from the current running system. And that substantially reduces the risk of applying complex sets of updates where we might be having to update many files. Some of those files might have interdependencies that are not easy to know which which one needs to be be applied first. Um, These designs also introduce the ability to atomically switch to the updated state once, it's available as well as um, an intrinsic ability to roll back at least the file portions of the update so that if an update fails, there's always that backup image that you were last active on that remains available um, until it's discarded.
1: So that's kind of interesting. So to make sure I understand this, so you're somehow gonna create a duplicate file system that's that's isolated from, from like, the actual file system of Drupal and apply your updates there and then somehow flip a switch... Or re- You're going to verify the updates, and that, that somehow flip a switch and kind of make the updated environment the actual file system environment? Am I understanding that properly?
3: Hey, um, it's... I'm the only part that I'm trying to juggle in terms of the the description understanding um, against my my own um, mental model of it yeah. is that there's never there's no particular place that is the primary file system in a perpetual way. You're always sort of, like Git. You're always sort of on a branch, mm-hmm. um, and you can update the branch that you're not on, and then whenever you're ready to, you can switch to that branch, and then once you've switched to a different branch, then you can update any of the other ones that you're not on. The um, Some designs intrinsically have two, um, like Cisco's firmware design and CoreOS. Um, some designs support an arbitrary number, like libOS tree. Um, but the one of the big benefits is providing a workspace in order to perform complex operations. Like if we're trying to spider dependencies for a composer build, we may have a cascading set of changes that need to be applied as soon as one version gets bumped. Like for example, if a module goes from... uh, applies a security update by moving from the 1.x to 2.x branch of an HTTP client module that may have some large cascading changes to the tree that need to be then applied in a way where if you have any partial application of that change set, things may just be broken. Um, So um, right now, we we can sort of escape some of that with the current auto-updates because we... we queue everything up to be able to rapidly apply changes generally to only a handful of files. Um, And we're able to structure that data in a way where the client has a packaged version of the change set that needs to get applied, basically, where it doesn't really have to perform a lot of calculations on the client side. Um, And even though a partial application of an update might cause a problem, the chance that, that will occur or be over a long period of time is very low with, with the types of updates that are rolling out through the system as designed right now. The kind of AB switching, or, or however we've we've ser- sort of started calling it an AB switching pattern, allows us to, to have that working area be separate from the active site, which also simplifies some of the tooling around administrator tools because there's, there's always risk in updating yourself uh, in the sense that if you update yourself in a way that you break yourself, mm-hmm. then um, that's it can be very hard to roll back an update uh, or provide any interactivity as those are occurring. And a lot of the design of all of these phases has been built around the idea that we can't make things worse uh, in the sense that we can't make things less secure by virtue of having auto updates enabled. We can't have um, create a substantial risk of site breakage because auto updates are enabled, um, because all of these things will chill adoption of, of these features. And, and the goal is to have as little chilling of the adoption of these features as possible.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, are there any other like web content management systems or applications that do any type of bootloading or bootloader type architecture that you're describing?
3: That's it's certainly present for the model in Java for war files, where um, let's say you have a Tomcat server and you drop in a war file for an application and you want to update the application and you replace the war file. I believe that's a fairly atomic switch. That's interesting. I
2: want to say Symphony 4 has the concept of swapping out your front-end controller or or some of these parts. Does that sound right to anyone else? I think you
4: might be right. I don't know how complete they're Implementation of the idea well, it's but, it's an
2: API. Yeah, um, so I think it's you still have to build to the API and, and But um, it, but to, to the point I think this is um,
4: This is treading some new ground to try and come up with a, a, a method of update that relies on this sort of a framework but I think ultimately that's where we resolve that earlier question about you know, how do you how do you drive maximal adoption in spite of that whole category of users who might be otherwise scared off by the idea of of the software updating itself. So
0: Yeah, we, we got pretty deep there. Can we can we just kinda of back up and clarify exactly <laughs> where we are today versus um, yeah. where we're going in the future. So today we have the PSA stuff and the pre flight stuff that's been renamed, but I like the name preflight. Um what was it called? Uh, readiness checks. Readiness, readiness checks. checks. There we go. So, so we we can do PSAs and readiness checks, and that's through a contrib module. Am I getting that right? Uh-huh. Okay. Correct.
4: And we can do core updates on seven and eight, as long as the site isn't based on a composer workflow. And
0: what uh, what, what, what is this contrib module called? Automatic. Uh, automatic updates. Straight up. Straight. Straight up. Cool. And, and so these automatic updates are that, that are updating core in a very basic way are still based on Drupal being writable by Apache, but that's better than not having an updated Drupal site, and that's why we're willing to make that trade.
2: It is, and we do it all in the same HTTP request, and if anything blows at this and knocks it over and something fails, it immediately rolls it back. Okay. All within the same HTTP request.
3: One thing I also wanted to... Um, dig into that you were just mentioning there is uh, uh, in the idea of the writable file system for something like PHP. Because one one thing we also looked at for these designs is to not increase the attack surface in in the sense that for any level of control an attacker might gain over a site, we didn't want their power over the site to be better just because auto-updates is enabled or they have a configuration that allows auto-updates to be used and one of the areas is is of course writing php files to disk that then are running for the application but one of the things we looked at is how things like say twig templates get get compiled um, and other uh, derived assets get created mm-hmm. for say um uh aggregated javascript so,
0: the way I understand it Mike as a friend editor you can probably like talk circles around me um, twig the, the the pretty twig template you see ends up being compiled to PHP and then executed as such that's something that happens fairly transparently to most
3: people yeah I know there's compiled twig files I've never poked at them okay but
0: am I right I the, I'm right David right
3: <laughs> yes uh, to my <laughs> understanding they're, they're compiled to um, to executable PHP because it makes a substantial performance difference to have it that way because things like the op cache in PHP can then actually cache the interpreted version of that code in a way where it can be rapidly loaded out of memory without really parsing the files off disk when those templates get used. But what it does do is is it meant that we we opened the door to the idea of the active Drupal application being able to write files to a part of the file system that then will get executed as php. And there's nothing particularly right or wrong about that. It's just it's a but it's just a door that we've already gone through for Drupal. And and so being able to update itself and its own php files doesn't necessarily represent any new territory that an attacker can then take advantage of to compromise a site. In a greater way, simply because you're using automatic updates and have a writable file system for Drupal's own core PHP and not just for Twig templates.
1: That's interesting. So the way I'm understanding what you're saying is that uh, the being able to update its own files isn't a big deal because we already generate executable files for for Twig. And if Correct. a hacker, yeah, and if a hacker could do could write our own uh, against its own file system it could also do so against twig so it's already in correct
4: yeah the the other area there and i i don't know if we want to spend kind of the whole time on the security <laughs> side of it but well i
0: think it's something that we we can't gloss over either because that's been an argument that's been held for a long time
4: yeah yeah so so then so you know if you're okay if you say okay it's safe to write or it's you know in principle safe to write these executable files then the you know as at just walking you through the same logic we use, then the next step in the chain that needs to be secured is the delivery of the files that this thing is going out and choosing to to drop on there, Um, right? So this Mm -hmm. is where we built the architecture that actually secures the delivery of the update from drupal.org all the way through to when the automatic updates module applies that to make sure that you're not getting uh, poisoned um, uh, update files.
1: So you so you're not using FTP?
4: <laughs> no. Oh goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely
3: not. We we could though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we actually, because we could do it. Pretty because safely. we're not actually reliant on on the on the delivery path of the files as part of the a trust framework.
2: Absolutely yeah. correct. We we have built in higher level uh security controls that it doesn't really matter whether you're doing it over SSL uh, over a fancy handshake or carrier pigeons.
1: That's really interesting.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, to give, I will give the layman's version because that's my level of understanding. Um, And then maybe uh, if we want to dig in, I mean, so there's a package signing architecture basically, right? So as, as um, Lucas mentioned earlier on the Drupal.org side, um, what we've done is we have uh, hardware security modules that we've used to generate a, a root key. Um, and we use that root key through these hardware security modules to generate intermediate keys that expire after a certain amount of time. Um, so we might have an intermediate key that, let's say, lasts 30 days. And then after that, the automatic updates module won't trust any file signed by that intermediate key anymore, right? So then we generate that key using our hardware security modules and the root key to make a new intermediate. We put that intermediate uh, on Drupal.org's signing infrastructure. Um, And then when Drupal.org is doing that hashing of the files, um, it's also sort of signing the package manifest so that the automatic updates module can verify, okay, this package that's coming from a site that tells me it's Drupal.org was signed by an intermediate key that matches the root public key or was not um, and therefore should be discarded. Um, And that means that that. Uh, you know, just as David and Lucas were saying, it doesn't matter how you got that package. The method that the package gets to you could have been totally insecure, but as long as that verification matches or doesn't match, um, we can decide whether or not it's safe to apply that package.
3: Correct. Totally correct. I like it. Uh, yeah, but I, I did. I did good. want to share. I did want to share one of our what motivated us to, to do it this way as well. Which, which is that um, part of one of one of our concerns in terms of broad availability of using these tools is to be able to secure the tra- uh, the transit of updates even to hosts that may not actually be in a great configuration from a from a modern trust anchor perspective, in the sense that sometimes. Um, the hosts may have old versions of PHP. They may have old versions of root certificates for um, certificate authorities for, for um, generally for use with X509 and TLS. And so we, we wanted to build a, a foundation that could be modern and trustworthy even if you're deployed to a target that is sort of equally... Um, th- th- or not equally, but is... It has not necessarily been well-maintained. Um, and at the same time, we didn't want to make any compromises to the delivery of these updates to very modern systems in terms of we didn't want to pick up old-style designs in order to maximize compatibility. So we have this interesting middle ground, which is is ultimately the same exact kind of design-for-trust design for trust that the um, Python um, update format uh, update framework um, TUF uses, which is the idea that you don't you want to anchor the trust in the project uh, and and not necessarily rely on uh, certificate authorities and HTTPS alone. Um, it, it also opens up the ability to use mirrors more broadly for for the update distribution, which is another important thing because preventing a site from getting an update is another way to attack a site.
0: We're talking automatic updates with Drupal Core with some of the folks that are helping make it happen on the Lullabot podcast. Coming up right after this, we'll talk a little bit more about where we're going.
5: Hey,
1: it's Florida Drupal Camp organizer and Drupal Easy uh, podcast host, Mike Inello. How are you doing, Mike?
5: Hey, Mr. Herschel. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm, d- I'm doing pretty good. It's kind of chilly outside. I know. It's like low 70s. I don't know how you and I are going to survive down here over the winter.
1: Uh, yeah, I know. Like in, in, in February, specifically around February 20th, it's going to be about the same, right? That's what well, temperature?
5: Yeah, if only there was a good reason for people to come <laughs> down to Florida. You know, the weekend of February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. Now that you
1: mention it, Mike Nello, organizer of Florida Drupal Camp, isn't Florida Drupal Camp that same exact weekend?
5: Oh my goodness, Mike Herschel, co-organizer <laughs> of Florida Drupal Camp. I think it is.
1: Yes, and and uh, it's going to be nice, warm, and sunny. We're going we're gonna to guarantee that. We, we, we have foresight into that. Uh, how many days is Florida Drupal Camp?
5: It's three days. The first day is a training day. That's Friday the 21st. The second day, Saturday, the 22nd, is wall-to-wall sessions and food and fun. And then the third day, Sunday, the 23rd, is like a two-thirds day. We, We end a little bit early. We have a few sessions, but it's mainly a contribution day.
1: Yep, it's a contribution day. And when we say a contribution day, we actually have a good amount of people contributing, correct?
5: We do. And we've got, you know, arguably one of the top contributor, trainer, organizer, herders, um, who's going to be there, Amy June Heinlein.
1: Yep, absolutely. And she, uh, she gets stuff done and, and points people into the uh, in the correct way. And and I'm planning on uh, – I'm, I'm one of the organizers for the new default uh, Drupal theme, which is going to be named Olivero, which there will be a subsequent podcast on. But um, I'm planning on doing a, a sprint then. We're going to be kind of uh, hopefully deep, deep, deep into
5: the theming process, and we're going to need a lot of help. So where and when can people register for this amazing event?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, they can register right now at fldrupal.camp. And uh, tickets are only, the early bird tickets are $50. I believe the tickets go up to $75 uh, <laughs> January 17th. Um, the camp is located in Orlando, which Orlando you can get flights to from anywhere. And Yeah.
5: All right, well, come on down to the camp. Yep, yeah, I agree.
1: All right, well, well, thanks, uh, Mike Nello, organizer of Florida Drupal Camp, for being on this podcast.
5: Oh, Promo. no, thank you.
1: <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the Lullabot Podcast. We are talking about automatic updates in Drupal and how it's going to be, how it's a
0: little scary, but it's going to be awesome. And um, it is partially, right, for core updates for, through a contrib module. So, yeah yeah yeah
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> to tell you the truth updates are always just like a little bit scary always hopefully hopefully going to be a little less so
0: hey tim i have a quick question if we could um sure we talked a little bit about uh you know the psas and we're able to deploy you know core updates and roll them back and it works like it should mostly at this point what what was required um on Drupal's side to to uh, infrastructure wise to make that happen
4: oh gosh um I mean, there were a number of different components. Creating just the, the feed to serve the PSAs was, uh, was new development work. Um, creating And, and that's the, something
0: that lives on Drupal.org?
4: Yes, exactly. Okay. That okay. uh, lives on and is published from Drupal.org. And in fact, uh, that's documented on Drupal.org's API documentation. So cool. that same feed of PSAs could be used um, in other applications sure. than just automatic updates. Um, and then beyond that, we had to um, collaborate with uh, Lucas and others to actually implement the signing um, infrastructure, yep. um, both the hashing of the packages that are uh, when releases are made, but also everything from the um, the hardware secure, uh, security modules all the way up through uh, to the sort of signing Oracle virtual machine that's part of our um, uh, hosting infrastructure
2: did a lot of this work, and uh, I would say probably the, the coolest part of it is is just, well, well there's the security um, signing of everything, but we now have uh, a quasi-patch approach, which anyone could use it, too, where yeah. if you want to take any version of any module or uh, core and give it a, a version range in the URL, you'll get the full contents of every single file that is the diff between those two versions. That's hmm. how we got around... Uh, updating things so that we don't have to worry about whether or not you've got patch utils or anything else to do a true patch. It's just the whole node.module file because copying and pasting will always work. Yeah. Git apply might not.
4: Yeah, so all of that gets delivered from Drupal.org and can be used and uh, will be extended for the rest of this work, but could also be creatively extended by by other folks as well. It'll be interesting to see as this matures, whether people who operate things like the LTS program for Drupal decide to extend the readiness checks or decide to do something else with these um, sort of differential quasi patches and things like that, it'll be really cool. I
2: think we mentioned that the European Union funded some of this work initially. Yeah, um, that was my that very work,
1: next question.
2: I was <laughs> going to say that um, Tag One was also a very instrumental in a lot of the the work too. They provided. Um, Project management and other components to to this initiative for the last year, and tag one happens to be one of those LTS vendors, and so we 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 catered a little bit in our design mm-hmm. to making sure that this would uh, accommodate them and MyDropwizard and others that want to to sort of keep the ball rolling once Drupal Seven stops uh, having a full support.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's valuable. It's awesome that uh, Tag One was able to do that. Thank you, thank you, Tag One. And uh, so um, the, the, they provided project management support, and um, you said the European Commission or European Union provided yeah. uh, assets, or how, how how did that work?
4: So the the European Commission um, has a, a program. It's called EC FASA um, who,
0: who is the European Commission as, a, as an ugly American? I, I don't know.
4: <laughs> sure. As an entity, the European Commission is a body that is part of the larger sort of European Union apparatus. And the European Commission has um, several different divisions um, that are all focused on programs for the good of the European Union member states um, and the kind of population within that. Um, and to sort of support the larger scale European Union operations. So one of the divisions within the European Commission, I think it's called Digit. It's their digital services division. And they're who we've been working with. And the team over there is great. And they implement a lot of the implement and maintain a lot of the European Union and European Commission's uh, digital presence. And most of that's built on Drupal. So they ah, uh, um, there
0: it is. Okay, I got it. Yeah,
4: So they've reached out. Um, We've we've been, we've collaborated with them on a few other uh, things or related to funding a security bug bounty program and stuff like that as well. And so um, uh, uh, 18, probably 18 months to two years ago, we pitched them on this idea of the uh, automatic updates initiative. And they were very generous in their funding um, and allowed us to um you know as the association to contract with lucas to work with uh, other members of the community to work closely with tag one and uh, all the various contributors um to actually get us as far as we've gotten so um they had a a one-year funding program that took us through all of 2019 and got us to our first stable release um and so we'll be we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get to the end but we'll be um Following up with um, other organizations as well to see if we can fund some of the stuff that we've been talking about for the second phase, too.
1: That's awesome. And uh, let's maybe segue into where we're going. And, and there was a little bit of conversation about this earlier. Um, some of the things that were mentioned were, were composure support and contrib support. So, you know, working for a, a company that does large Drupal 8 websites. I believe pretty much all of our projects are composer now.
0: Yeah. And we were on it. We were, Mike, you and I were in a call this morning with some lullabots and, and we were talking about, you know, we were going to talk uh, automatic updates on the podcast today and that was everybody's first questions. How is this going to work with composer? Like, and it sounds yeah. like there are some ideas in play, but a lot of work left.
2: That's absolutely Unf- true. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the truth. Um, we've, we've got a plan, mental plan, but we, we, we always get back to the point where I've got a 256, uh, 256 megabyte little small machine and I can't run Composer on it. And Composer takes up too much memory. Uh, how are we gonna handle my use case? Uh, but I feel like that's a little bit like a phase two or a phase three because we've got a lot of hosts that can support uh, running Composer on the server. So let's let's learn some things from those. Just the, the whole approach, the whole time has been let's let's try to introduce new features, almost like a sprint, almost like a you know you're running uh, the open source project like a, a Scrum project, uh, and every time we do something, we we tweak something, we implement something. Uh, but even before Composer, w- we want to do this. We went into the weeds about AB and and being able to have two indexes. To index.phps that can respond to requests and swap swap those out. Uh, so there's a lot of things that can happen even before we get to the composer. Uh, but maybe a first implementation is don't do anything with AB. Work independently on high memory composer composer update. Uh, nothing's stopping you from doing that right now, uh, except well, a lot of time and effort and probably funding. Yeah, all the usual I, I,
3: resources. I do think it would be interesting for us to be seeing the telemetry data on how often this, this setup for a site that is using Composer makes it viable for us to run auto-updates in the sense that we suspect that a substantial portion of the sites that are using Composer as their model for code project management um, may have read-only file systems in the production site.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know,
3: like like the
1: the large enterprise-y type sites that, that Lullabot creates typically are not going to use auto-updates, Yeah. you know. So, so maybe like that first use case is, you know, when people are downloading the tarball or, or installing stuff via that way.
4: One of the concerns with that is just that like, you know, as we say, understanding the right use cases and understanding how we can accommodate them and where the real value and impact is. Um, so, you know... Uh, And another element of this is as of the latest Drupal 8.8 release, for example, even the tarballs on Drupal.org are technically composer-ready installs. So they're already set up with the file structure and everything as if they were uh, composer create project style projects. Um, And those still work because if you haven't further modified the lock files and things like that from there, that's still fine and that's still going to work. But it's just, you know, once you start requiring new new packages and new modules that we run into these limitations. Um, but in principle, I think there's a few things. And I think doing a um, sort of componentized architecture will make sense. So we obviously need the capability to say, hey, here's a site with some current code base. Here is a set of updates, and here is a way to run the composer dependency resolution for those for that set. And maybe in certain enterprise scenarios, that's something that you don't plug into using the production site core module, but you some way plug into your CI pipeline for your either your sort of ongoing regular testing or deployment process. Um, maybe it's something where we provide some extensibility that can plug into a whole platform, um, you know, Pantheon or Acquia or Platform SH. Maybe their hosting platforms can have a system that that uses some of the tools we're building as part of. Uh, maybe their staging systems um, rather than just running in place on a, on production environments. But those are all That's, ideas that I think we're still exploring
2: early, early on at mid camp this past year in 2019, I had some conversations with Matt glammon from commerce and, and they're looking at doing a service offering. I think they've already launched their service offering in this space. And and we all knew about Pantheon cause they were in the booth across the way. Um, and, and, a lot of what we built is pluggable uh, using plugins in, in Drupal 8, especially, where you can uh, swap out the, the implementations or extend and add your own additional plugins. To say, hey, let's do a backup before we apply database updates using Drush, because I know I've got Drush on my site. Well, we can't assume that for everyone, so we don't have a built out-of-the-box plugin for that but if on your site you've got drush or an s3 bucket or something where you want to dump a database backup there's lots of room for folks to add features and functionality and secret sauce for their 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 providers as as a provider to their clients what one and thing i don't know I if people even have dug into the code to know that this is possible
3: Yeah. um, One thing I wanted to touch back on uh, that sort of opened up this topic is the question of contrib updates as well. Uh, And one thing that I've at least held as I I can't speak on behalf of everyone, but one thing that I've um, my perspective is that much of accomplishing contrib updates is the same scope as accomplishing the composer integration because we have so many contrib modules that now rely on composer derived dependencies
2: yeah
4: from a practical point of view there's some there's definitely technical work there's definitely some brainstorming mind-bending thinking that needs to go on to to really land on exactly the right kind of architecture for this but there are some good ideas uh, together thanks to the the people we've already had in the room. And then from a more brass-tax point of view, as someone who comes from the sort of project management side of things myself, you know, on the Drupal Association side, we're spending the next couple of months kind of letting the initial release soak, um, letting it uh, prove out a little bit and getting some feedback. Um, we're then, at the same time, I'm uh, working on approaching uh, other folks who might be interested in sponsoring. Um, when we can secure some more funding and resources, I think we'll, we'll do a phase of discovery again about these particular problems and then move into that problem solving. Um, and yeah, it would be great to keep up the momentum. So I'm hoping I'll, I'll, um, I'll be hearing from folks out there listening to this who are, who are interested in supporting the initiative.
1: Yeah. So how, how can people support the initiative? What can, what can people do to help? And
4: there's a, there's a few different things that folks can do. So one Mm is, um, you know, people who are interested in supporting this but are coming from a technical perspective and not an ability to give funding um, can certainly come in, start using this on sites, make bug reports, could also start collaborating on issues or could offer to help co-maintain. Um, you know, Lucas is the primary maintainer of this Contrib module. Um, and we've had so a, a certain amount of funding that we've been able to, to devote to support things like this. But, you know, at a certain point, this is, This is open source, this is Drupal, so we're gonna need to have ongoing maintenance, and so that would be a great way to get involved. And then for those folks who are at organizations who might be interested in funding another round of work, um, you can contact me directly uh, at the Drupal Association. My contact information is on the staff page. It's just Tim at association.drupal.org, and I'm happy to chat with anybody who's interested in either in just learning more about this um, or potentially helping us move it forward.
0: So we've been talking about this automatic update initiative and putting it into Drupal core, and we haven't said a whole lot about putting it into Drupal core. What's the plan? What do yeah. we have to do?
4: Yeah, so um, it's going to be it's going to go together, I think, with solving some of these problems. I think these are, I think the part of the concern from speaking to um, uh, core maintainers, release managers, framework, man- framework managers, things like that, is they do want to make sure that. We have all the safety nets that what's supported by the automatic updates um, module when it becomes a core module maps well to all of the environments and places we say are supported for Drupal itself, right? So we say you can use Drupal on a shared host of this size with these PHP versions and things like that, right? We want to make sure all those are in place. So um, that said, over the course of the next months, there might also be, Value in deciding, hey, maybe for the D7 version where it's, this composer stuff is not s- such a concern, um, maybe that's something we would want to do sooner rather than later for all the folks who are still on that. Um, or, you know, maybe we can do some more incremental things. So those are sort of ongoing discussions. Um, but short version is we want we want to handle we want to truly handle the scope of a Drupal site and not say, hey, you can update a Drupal site except. All of these and these and these and these. We want to get a better coverage of all the use cases.
1: Is it possible to get this into Drupal Seven Core earlier than Drupal Eight? Since there's, you don't have to worry about Composer.
4: I, I, I am not totally sure. Really, that's a core maintainer question more than me. In principle, I would think so. But, um, but in principle, yeah.
2: But just you know, I'm taking off my hat of maintainership of any of this stuff. I haven't seen a lot of velocity on Drupal Seven in the last. Few two years. Um, Mm -hmm. So I doubt it's going to land for the next six months because we're looking at about six. So focused on nine. Yeah. Right. So, but as far as eight and Drupal nine, uh, let me quote something from Extra Jammer Jess from five days ago in a Slack meeting. She says, Oh, it's absolutely belonging in the core product once it's done. It's the most strategically important feature for Drupal's future. Wow. Yeah. And that's from the core maintainership and, and that community. There's a lot of support. A lot of hours were given by the Drupal Association, funding from European com- Commission. Um, lots of people are interested. Um, people are just giving up their own free time. Thanks, David, and, and others that worked uh, tire- tirelessly over the last uh, year Near. or two to get this happen. And, and we're starting to see some fruition. We need more bug reports.
4: What's, definition <laughs> yeah, uh, definition
2: what's the definition of done? Yeah. What's the definition of done for anything?
4: Well, somebody, has to,
0: somebody has to name it. I mean, that's...
4: Yeah. I mean, so in our case, I think when we can say running the site on a complex composer site is safe and running an update will cover your contrib, I think that'll be done for the purposes of core inclusion in 8 and 9. I'm pretty sure that those will be the the, the gates.
3: I think the only question we have around that is is really if there's any subset of that that is also going to be satisfactory for core inclusion uh, as a not, yeah. not because we would stop working on it to achieve that point, but um, is something somewhat less than that good enough.
4: Yeah, and it might be, but I think, you know, until we've really got into the future set of discovery and determine what those subsets even would be in principle, I don't think we'll quite know so. Uh, the, the other thing to say, though, is, right, so automatic updates has been talked about probably 10 years or more um, as a potential thing that should be important, right? And the amount that we accomplish, accomplished in a single year once we were able to resource it was pretty monumental. And I think as big as handling Composer and Contrib sounds, I think, again, if we can nail down the resources, we can probably actually make progress quite quickly. So, Mike,
0: uh, you are a user of automatic updates. I watched you doing it today.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I did it a little bit earlier as I was talking to Matt and, uh, and, and that's when I ran into that one particular issue where I was uh, uh, mentioned in the uh, auto up automatic updates,
4: Slack and Drupal Slack.
0: Soon which we should point out, which we should point out exists.
4: Right. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that'd be a good place to follow along. Anybody out there. Yep. The
1: uh, let's see is it auto updates or automatic updates. I'm looking right now. Uh, just auto updates. Auto update so so it's the uh, auto updates in, in Drupal slack and, and you can find out more about Drupal slack at drupal.org slash slack I believe
0: did you get your Drupal 7 site updated
1: not yet no no I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I'm gonna take a little bit of time and take a lot of a little bit of screenshots just, just to try to document the problem uh, that we have and at that point you know open up a open up an issue within the, on drupal.org yeah um, but uh, but something that I have been I have been doing is I've been at, like like I managed my friend's lawn care website, and in return I get free lawn care, which is probably about the best deal ever <laughs> and um so you know this is a website that it's, it's a Drupal seven website. I don't use features or anything to manage config, I just update everything live, I use backup migrate to to download the database, everything's a little bit of fast and loose and everything you know it,
0: it, it is in a code repository I saw that you have it <laughs> yeah. yet yeah. Yes,
1: it is in the code repository, so that's something. It didn't start off that way, but but it definitely is. And uh, so I've I've I said, well, this is kind of a perfect use case for automatic updates. I'm gonna maybe download it and and see what breaks. And I've been finding a couple like small little bugs here and there, and and you know, posting it in the Slack channel and on Drupal.org. And you know, I I feel I I think that this is a an important initiative, so I'm I'm happy to help out. You know,
0: I think it anyone who does this kind of thing professionally ends up with those little side websites that you end up maintaining, yeah. maintaining for mom or something. And I think you're right. It's a really great use case. And I'm looking forward to uh, not having her um, email me and tell me that my site <laughs> needs updated because Drupal is now emailing me and telling me my site is out of date.
1: You just got to disable that module, Mac, Come on. You know. <laughs> I,
0: I, I try and say, no, mom, that just means that it's still up. Like if you're getting an email, that's a good thing. Yeah. But we, we know that's not true.
1: Well, um, <laughs> and with that, I, I, I think we're at our time here. That's, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, let's see, Tim, anything that you want to add on as, as we're wrapping up here?
4: Well, just a big thank you for, um, for your individual contributions and to <laughs> test this out, but also for hosting us and having us on to talk about the initiative and help get the word out. I think it would be fabulous if people try this out in the wild. Um, I think uh, just the support of the community will be really instrumental in helping us make this happen. So again, anybody out there listening who might be interested in getting involved can reach out to me, Tim at association.drupal.org. And uh, yeah, and thank you to my colleagues on the call who've helped us make this happen.
3: I uh, just wanted to thank uh, our hosts as well and um, uh, all the um, <laughs> all the collaborators on this. Uh, it's... it's um... One of the things that makes automatic updates quite a challenge to even get to the point where we're at today is because it's so interdisciplinary in terms of infrastructure, in terms of um, procedure, in terms of software implementation, in terms of testing, and um, we've had a lot of people had to come together to uh, to make this a thing.
1: Thank you for heading on for coming on the Lullabot podcast. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this progress and and hopefully getting Drupal Core. I
4: think it'll be a big deal. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again.